This is the Frankly Daniel Show, and yes, I'm the Daniel in the Frankly part of this enterprise. It's my weekly exercise of our First Amendment rights. Thank you for joining me, and it's an honor to be here today with you. Well, here we are, in the Christmas season. Soon we'll be facing another New Year. For many of us, Christmas, Hanukkah, New Year's, and if you're married, you can, you can add your wedding anniversary to among the most important dates on your calendar. Now, Mark Twain had an opinion on which days are the most important ones. He said the two most important days in your life are the day when you were born and the day you find out why. (laughs) There isn't a day that's gone by that I haven't thought about this quote. To quote another philosopher, I think, therefore I am. Well, from my perspective, that's the easy part of this life's dilemma. So, okay, we can obviously see that we're here And heck, some of us even think, I think, therefore I am. But am what? What am I? And why am I here? Now, I suppose we could superficially answer the question of why am I here by referring to Adam and Eve and the Old Testament's first book, the book of Genesis. Had it not been for the original sin, perhaps Adam and Eve would still be in the Garden of Eden and human beings would still be a glint in God's eye. Of course, it's up to each of us to explore the question of why. Why am I here? Does my life have a purpose beyond my immediate circumstances? Yes, I I believe each of us does have a special purpose that really transcends all the other activities of our daily lives. In this way, I truly believe each of us is unique. It's when we discover and embrace that purpose and combine it with those of others that we, the American people, become strong, moral, and pleasing in the sight of God, whoever your God happens to be. Perhaps your purpose is raising a family or fulfilling a needed position in a needed occupation. Perhaps you're a teacher. But then again, aren't we all teachers and students? Yet I know we can all strive to be better at both. I don't mind telling you that my purpose at this point in my life is really threefold. First, to take the opportunity America Out Loud has given me to share my long-considered views on America and her politics in hopes that Americans, be they two or 200,000 listening to this show, will decide to participate in our republic Just living in America is not enough to sustain her. We all must participate if our republic is to withstand those ignoble slings and arrows of outrageous politicians. Secondly, to continue my quest to understand human beings. (laughs) I know it's hopeless, but I'll continue trying to understand the social psychology behind what we do and, and, and why. Thirdly, and really no less important. I'm here to win my second battle against leukemia, just to show others that it can be done. I've done it once already. But of course, no one conquers cancer alone. And I have lots of help and prayers in this quest. As for how I got here in the first place, I have to say, unquestionably, 
the key reason I'm here and able to talk with you today is because my parents decided they loved each other and they remained committed to be my parents. I, I know it's hard, it's hard to believe through the whole ordeal of childhood and teenageship and early adulthood and on and on. You see, I was, I was conceived out of wedlock. My parents fell in love in high school, got pregnant, and got married. Thankfully, I was one of those babies whose parents never thought of aborting me. Of course, had they tried, it would have been clearly against the law in 1949, the year of my birth. Nevertheless, I'd like to think that if my birth date was to be in 2022, in an age when abortion is legal and commonplace in America, instead of 1949, when abortion was illegal, that, that my parents would still have decided to get married and give life to me and my four younger sisters and one brother. But then again, I'm a romantic. But as a social scientist, I know that's not the way so many of our young people think today. In my opinion, abortion has never been a larger issue than it is today. I don't pretend to be neutral on the issue of abortion. I believe abortion should be safe, legal, and extremely, and I'm I mean extremely rare. The Supreme Court just heard oral arguments about Mississippi's new abortion law that makes it unlawful to attempt an abortion after the fetus has reached 15 weeks of gestational age. The 15-week cutoff is extremely interesting because today's medical science has really redefined what has traditionally been called the quickening of a child as a cutoff point for uncontested abortions. Heretofore, the quickening was when a baby's mother can feel the first flutters of her fully formed baby in utero. This usually occurs somewhere between 16 and 20 weeks. In centuries past, the quickening was also believed to be when ensoulment occurred. Now, when an embryo acquires a soul differs across religions and across historical periods. That is, if you believe we have a soul. Given this, ensoulment ranges really from conception to the moment of birth. Of course, regardless of soul or no soul, a 15-week-year-old fetus is not medically viable, meaning if delivered, he or she couldn't possibly live outside the womb. But today, science proves babies as young as 15 weeks can feel pain. Have you seen any of the in utero fetal photos of 15-week-old uteruses, or, or babies as I call them? They're stunning. I mean, absolutely stunning. But when this medical evidence was put forth in oral arguments before the Supreme Court last week, Justice Sonia Sotomayor, who's really far left on the political spectrum, made this inflammatory statement as counterpoint to the fetal movement and pain thresholds witnessed in 15-week-old fetuses. I think it's a, an advancement in, in knowledge and concern about such things as... Uh, fetal pain, what we know the child is doing and looks like and is fully human you know, from a very early... In about 40% of dead people who, if you touch their feet, the foot will recoil. There are spontaneous acts by dead brain people. So I don't think that a response to uh, by a fetus necessarily proves that there's a sensation of pain, or that there's consciousness. Well, we won't dwell on this inane statement. 
But even before 15 weeks gestation, many pro-life advocates have long believed that a fetus is a human life from the moment of conception. The question before the Supreme Court is whether they'll abandon the 23-24-week viability standard for allowing unrestricted abortions before this date, as set by prior abortion cases before them. You know, it started out at 28 weeks when they decided Roe versus Wade, or whether they're going to decide to set a new standard of pre-viability at 15 weeks. Personally, I believe the viability argument has long been a false claim. In the beginning, at the moment of conception, biology is set in motion. If we stand back and allow that child's natural progression to go forward, short of some biologic catastrophe, that fetus will go on to be a baby, and then a toddler, and then an adolescent and preteen, and then, heaven, heaven be warned, a teenager, and so forth. What's the court doing deciding when a fetus becomes a human being and when it becomes an American citizen due full constitutional protection? Obviously, a 15-week-old fetus is not a viable human being. Nobody's pretending that it is. Nevertheless, there's no denying these future children are fully formed. Their hearts are beating, their lungs are practicing breathing motions, they're moving their limbs and they're responding to stimuli. And given what science has revealed today, don't we have a societal interest in protecting these lives? Listen, a one-year-old can't survive on his or her own. I mean, short of some, some movies we've probably seen about the wolves raising kids. If we use a strict viability standard, if this one-year-old's parents can't be found, who among us would suggest euthanizing this one-year-old child? I'd prefer the Supreme Court would correct their grievous mistake and abort the Roe v. Wade decision. I believe decisions about abortions belong at the state level. I fully agree there's no perfect solution to the abortion dilemma. But since 1973, since 1973, 48 years, we've aborted more than 62 million recorded cases of children. And the important statistical point is that we only know about 42 million deaths. We have no estimate of the millions of off-book abortions performed. I'm not going to have you believe I'm a deeply religious guy. I'm, I'm not. I'm what you'd call a recovering Catholic. But I do read the Bible on occasion. Take, for instance, the book of Genesis, the first book in the Old Testament. Chapter 1, verse 27 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female, he created them. Allow me to point out also in this important first chapter of the Bible, it says God created mankind. Now, you might think this is sort of a sticky point, but it's an important one. Only God can create. As humans, we make things from other things, but we create nothing. Only God creates. Also note that according to this chapter and verse, God created man and woman as part of this world and as part of God's world, the divine world, for we are created in his image. Now, I can assure you that people of faith, people of faith believe the same about what we call a fetus. We make babies. We don't create them. Only God creates. 
One last point of note about this first chapter in Genesis. In the very next verse, verse 28, God issues his first commandment to Adam and Eve. It reads, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. In this first verse, God orders Adam and Eve to have children. He also gave them, including all humans who came after them, dominion over all nature. Now, as a historical note, throughout the centuries, pagans have worshipped nature. But as for Christians and many other faiths, so we worship only God. And finally, on my tiptoeing through Scripture, I'd like to read a few verses from Psalm 139. Psalm 139 speaks volumes to many people of faith on the gifts of birth and life. In particular, the verses in Psalm 139 that are dear to my heart read, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when it was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. I have to tell you that God I know is clearly of the opinion that a fetus is a human life from the moment of conception. Well, I'm not here to preach about creation or whether God created us in his image. Clearly, I believe this. Nor am I here to argue about life, conception, and abortion on spiritual grounds. Nor will I catalog the details of legal issues surrounding abortion in America today. Instead, I hope to share some information about abortion you probably haven't heard or or necessarily have thought about before. One thing for sure over the next six months, the Supreme Court will be wrestling with their highly controversial and most decidedly unconstitutional ruling in the Roe v. Wade landmark case as they ponder their positions and likely issue a ruling in the Mississippi abortion case by June of next year. That internal debate will center around whether to strike down this 48-year-old deeply flawed ruling or to incrementally alter it while leaving the so-called Roe v. Wade law largely intact. Well, first things first, uh, back to Mark Twain's quote, the two most important days in your life. Uh, The two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. Now, there are usually two ways to interpret this quote. You can take time during your life to explore and settle on your purpose in life, or you can wait until you meet up with St. Peter at the pearly gates to be told why you were birthed to live on planet Earth. Now, I'd suggest that waiting until you meet with St. Peter is a terrible time to be finding out this information. Yes, this second approach is obviously a very Christian interpretation of Mark Twain's quote, but then again, I, I don't recommend it. Now, if you've listened to the arguments made before the Supreme Court, by proponents and opponents concerning the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Organization abortion case. This is the Mississippi case, by the way. And most certainly, if you watch corporate media's coverage of this landmark case, you have to conclude very few people still believe in Christianity. 
you'd especially have to conclude that Americans no longer hold to the premise that life is divinely created and precious. But in a recent Pew Research Center poll of 6,500 American adults, they found that the majority still hold very strong religious beliefs, including an indelible abiding belief in God, a strong belief in heaven and hell, and a strong belief that God is not responsible for human suffering. 58% define their God as described in the Bible. Another 32% believe in a God or a spiritual power, but not necessarily that of the Bible. In other words, 9 out of 10 Americans believe in some higher power overseeing our world. The other somewhat shocking finding is that 73% of all Americans believe in heaven. Now, these Americans believe God controls our eternal destiny. Pray tell, may I ask you, where do, where do the souls of aborted babies go? Oh, what should we assume? Oh, what, what do you believe? Or is this a question like so many others where it, it depends? Uh, if you're non-religious or you're an atheist, then questions such as these aren't a moral dilemma or a mental burden. But are we to assume that, despite being unviable until 23 weeks gestation, that future babies remain soulless until birth? You have to ask yourself, how, how can a nation of 350 million people hold two such diametrically contradictory positions? On one hand, all life is God-given and sacred, and God decides on one's eternal residence. And on the other hand, Abortion at any point before medical viability is just ridding oneself of unwanted waste, unworthy of our protection and our value. What a diabolical conundrum. I found several other curious findings. For, for instance, 80% of Americans believe that the suffering in the world comes from actions of people, not God. That's because God gave us free will to act in ways that at times actually go against the plans of God or a higher power. Another 44% believe Satan is largely responsible for the suffering of the world. I suppose this allows us uh, an out for acts like abortion. Uh, the devil made me do it. Yeah, that's it. What? The devil led you into pregnancy and made you get an abortion? Okay, that, that's a stretch. But here's something I found particularly interesting. 83% of Americans believe science or natural causes can't explain the world as we see it, or other things that happen in our lives. As written by Pamela Danziger in her excellent recent article in The Federalist, she writes, No matter what religion they profess, Americans are aware that there is more to life, a reason for being that goes beyond our natural world. She also goes on to state, Be it the Judeo-Christian God or some other higher power, most Americans believe God is the only way to explain how the universe came to be and why each of us was placed on this earth at this particular point in time. It's an unshakable belief that most Americans profess. God is indeed is good. God is indeed always present. So I ask you rhetorically again, if this is so, then why are we aborting millions of God's children even if we leave God out of the discussion, how do we morally reconcile our callous wasting of human potential? 
As we promise to ask ourselves that question again later, let's return to Mark Twain's quote, the two most important days in our lives are the day when you were born and the day you find out why. Now, there's a non-religious or non-spiritual way to address the question of why we're here. Socrates offered us an approach to discovering why. Socrates was considered by many to be the wisest man in Greece. Among other famous quotes, Socrates said, an unexamined life is not worth living. Perhaps Socrates wasn't obsessed with the why as much as he was with asking us what we're doing with the life we've been given. I agree that Socrates' position is a little overbearing, and some philosophers take issue with his premise. Nonetheless, it's still a pretty interesting idea. A life unexamined isn't a life worth living. But whether you agree with this premise or not, isn't the core of his statement worthy of at least occasional consideration? Perhaps I'm a cockeyed optimist in believing our lives, and most certainly our society, would be far better off if we asked ourselves why we're here and what we're doing with our precious gift of life. Is there a purpose to our lives? Have we taken time to examine where we've come from in our lives, where we are currently, what's in our control, and how do we wish to proceed? I can assure you those of us with life-threatening cancers ask ourselves these questions regularly. And how silly we sound when we ask children what they want to be when they grow up. Considering how many people are unhappy with their jobs, occupations, and other life challenges and burdens, shouldn't we be taking time to evaluate our life's purpose? You know, very few children, uh, certainly young children, know what they want to be later in adult life. I mean, I bet if we went back and cataloged all childhood answers to that question and compared them to what children actually become later in adult life, there'd be very little correlation. Perhaps we should be challenging children to begin thinking about what type of person they want to be or eventually become and how they can best achieve that goal. Shouldn't we be a role model for them? as we challenge them to aspire to a moral life? And does a moral life we wish for them support nationwide on-demand abortion as a matter of convenience or a way of solving the inconvenience of carrying and birthing a child? All worthy questions. We're led to a belief by progressives in corporate media that anti-abortion laws harm mostly socioeconomically distressed women. So making abortion illegal condemns them to raising children they don't want and won't love. It's as if it's a punishment for failure to use contraception or for the failure of contraception itself. We're told by the political left that the mental anguish of birthing a child and then giving that child up for adoption is mental cruelty. In other words, it's a lifelong sentence of maternal guilt over having given up a child that's somewhere in the world being raised by a loving, often infertile couple. What drivel. Each of us has our own opinion on adoption, but given the option, I'd have preferred someone adopt me rather than having me spend eternity as an aborted afterthought. No, I'm not talking about victims of incest, rape, 
or women's health when it's put in peril because of pregnancy, or in the case of severe genetic fetal defects, these categories come nowhere near making up the majority of abortions in America. And besides, we are a compassionate society, and there are very few pro-lifers who would impose their will on these victims. But I must tell you that in my former professional life as a registered respiratory therapist, I worked exclusively for six years in neonatal intensive care units at two major academic medical centers. If people could only see and experience the joy, the pain, and near-fatal cycle of uncertainty in the faces of parents praying that their premature babies survive, I believe people's selfish thoughts and legal arguments about abortion would melt so fast that they'd have to wear life preservers to withstand the flood of emotions. Of course, being a man makes me automatically incapable of understanding the psychological and physiological burdens of pregnancy. True, and I I do concede this point, but only to a degree. Well, this has never been my problem. Nevertheless, I've always been bothered that fathers have no legal say in abortion decisions. Nevertheless, they do have full financial responsibility if the child comes to term and is delivered. So, whose baby is this child? Moreover, I suppose the part of abortion I found most distasteful is using abortion as a primary method of birth control. Personally, I don't believe abortion should become an alternative to birth control. Didn't China practice this for years as a means to control their population growth? And as if that wasn't evil enough, birth preference was given to boys over girls. So, if a child was to be a state-mandated abortion, girls were aborted first. And while I'm enumerating my concerns here, I, I don't understand how routine abortion has become an issue of women's health care. I don't see abortion analogous to amputating a diseased leg or surgically removing a cancerous mass. I mean, how has abortion become an issue of routine health care? No, I'm not talking about when there's demonstrable issues of women's health being severely put at risk because of pregnancy. I agree, pregnancy is a health care issue. But, but is abortion? Well, the time is flying by and there's so much more to say. Let's take a quick break. Hit the head, hit the fridge, and then come right back. You're going to want to hear the rest of the abortion saga. Join me again in minutes. Uh, no, no, make that seconds. I'm excited to talk about a new product from Healthy Cell, AC11. This is a patented bioactive extract of Uncaria tomentosa from the Amazon rainforest. It supports cell DNA repair and health span. It's a dietary supplement. I'm excited to try it. Many are interested in longevity and attenuation of senescence. We know that telomere length and other uh, biologic measures are related to senescence in uh, 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 clinical and uh, preclinical studies, particularly of animal models. And I can tell you as a doctor, dietary supplements do hold the promise of attenuating repair and damage in our body due to stress, physical wear and tear, sunlight, etc. 
and there's a tremendous opportunity for supplements to help us in this area. And so Healthy Cell has brought a product to market for you to try as part of your health portfolio. So please go to HealthyCell.com and in the promotional code, list out loud for 20% off your first purchase of products from Healthy Cell. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Because of COVID-19, many Americans worry about their health four times a day. That's 112 times per month. But by simply keeping our immune system strong, we can stay healthy and put our worries at ease. One little known way to do this is by taking AC11, a patented supplement from a plant in the Amazon rainforest. Studied for over 20 years and backed by over 40 scientific peer-reviewed studies, taking AC11 has been proven to extend the life of immune cells called leukocytes, allowing you to boost immunity naturally. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of AC11. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. There was a time when Americans could rely on the Fourth Estate. Well, in these challenging times, the media is both reckless and complicit. AmericaOutloud.com. Top analysis from leading experts, articles, podcasts, video, and 24-7 talk radio. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Hello, hello, and welcome back to The Frankly Daniel Show. Before the break, we we were discussing how abortion went from a criminal act to mysteriously becoming one of health care. So, is abortion really a health care issue in America today? Now, just because doctors or in some states, nurse practitioners perform abortions, that doesn't make abortion a health care issue. I agree that abortion shouldn't necessarily be a, a criminal matter, but but then again, it's hardly a health care matter unless the procedure goes terribly wrong. Which, according to those advocating for looser abortion laws, well, they say complications happen in less than 0.1% of cases. The fact that women can order FDA-approved pills, there's two of them on the market, by the way, to induce abortion at home makes claiming abortion as a health care issue even more suspect. By the way, abortion pills are a growing part of the abortion marketplace. Moreover, as I just mentioned, there's a growing number of women who are managing their abortions themselves without going to a medical office. Now, these invisible abortions are really hard to measure, so it's unclear how much higher true abortion rate is because of this growing alternative to clinic visits. But researchers say self-managed abortions have risen as abortions become more restricted in certain states. And as more people have learned that effective pills can be secretly ordered online, or they can also be purchased across the Mexican border. Now, uh, I say this cynically, but uh, with tongue-in-cheek only partly. I mean, this is going to happen. Look for the Mexican cartels to move in to fill this black market consumer demand 
In fact, it may already be happening. In Texas, it's illegal to obtain abortion pills, period. So, just like it's illegal for Mexican and other Central Americans to not only not cross our border into the United States, but they're not supposed to serve as mules for cartels as they traffic sort of tons of illicit drugs. I suppose it's all part of Joe Biden's Build Back More Stone program. Well, okay, I'm sorry, I, I, I couldn't help myself. But without a physician's prescription, buying these pills online or across the border in Mexico is against the law in every state I could find any information on. But because these activities are underground, it's, it's hard to get a hold of them or precisely know what's going on. But no one disputes this form of abortion is growing. As reported in the New York Times in 2019, the pills are harder to regulate than in-clinic abortions, and they, they can easily be hidden and shipped, and women can take them at home and appear to have had a spontaneous miscarriage. So it doesn't even go down as an abortion. Now, you can go online and you can fill out a form uh, with a couple of people that have come into the marketplace and they have a doctor online and all that kind of stuff, like with, you see, for Viagra now and a number of things you can just get delivered by talking to an online doctor. And and you can, they're, they're safe and effective technology, there's no doubt about it. You can get these pills for about 90 bucks to 150 bucks a pop. Uh, office abortions usually cost between 500 to $1,200, depending. There are two common pill formulations to induce abortion, but but back to the issue of health care, which is really my concern. If you're going to get Medicaid or other insurance to cover the cost of an abortion, it's better to, to call it a health care procedure. I mean, don't you agree? New York's recently passed Reproductive Health Act permits abortions when according to a medical professional's, quote, reasonable and good-faith professional judgment based on the facts of the patient's case. The patient is within 24 weeks from the commencement of pregnancy, or there is an absence of fetal viability, or the abortion is necessary to protect the patient's life or health, or health. In other words, Women may choose to have an elective abortion prior to 24 weeks. Notice this is in line with the viability standard. However, after 24 weeks, such decisions must be made with a determination that there's an absence of fetal viability or that the procedure is necessary to protect the patient's life or health. That determination must be made by a healthcare practitioner licensed, certified, or authorized under state law, acting within his or her lawful scope of practice. In what is considered a companion case, Dole v. Bolton, the U.S. Supreme Court held that medical judgment may be exercised in the light of all factors that include physical, emotional, psychological, familial, and the woman's age, and other relevant factors to the well-being of the patient. All these factors may be related to health and all can be cited. Now, this allows the attending physician the room they need to make their best medical judgment. What a bunch of malarkey. The key to this abortion law is the word health, if you haven't picked that up. First, health shows up 
and, and, and it's in the very title of the law, the Reproductive Health Act. Oh, in reality, this is the Unreproductive Abortion Act, plain and simple. Putting fancy words on it, like so much the, the disingenuous propaganda out of the left uh, is, that doesn't change the nature of the law. By expanding legal abortion past the 24-week cutoff, the healthcare practitioner can claim that to continue the pregnancy would put the patient's health, not their life, but their health, at risk. What health are we talking about? They're talking about the patients. Uh, by the way, these aren't patients. They're clients, like at Planned Parenthood. You're a client. So the client's mental health is what they're talking about. Given the wide birth canal in these laws, just how do you think this actually works at a Planned Parenthood abortion factory? So if a client claims carrying a child to term will damage their mental health, or the client claims she couldn't possibly accept the psychological burden of giving up a child for adoption, knowing she had a child being cared for by strangers in a loving home of an infertile couple, then a doctor can legally determine that her pregnancy must end ASAP. No, I'm, I'm not making this stuff up. There are two recent major articles published in two large circulation news publications uh, decrying the overbearing burden that adoption places onto mental well-being of mothers who give their children up to others for adoption. Uh, the clear point of these articles is that abortion is superior to the option of adoption. Uh, there's been several articles in, uh, that re refudiate that. It, a lot of the community got pretty angry about it. Uh, the question arises, uh, who's, it, who's it worse for? It's not, it's not worse for the baby, and, and not, it's not worse for the adoptive parents. Oh, the client is better off aborting a child than giving that child a life and a home by others, obviously. Uh, yes, if you talk to women who've carried children to term and, and then given them up for adoption, th there remains that aggravating curiosity as to how that child is doing, and it is accompanied uh, oftentimes by guilt. I mean, there's no denying that. But you, for heaven's sakes, you're talking about a human life. But so much of our law is given to helping us escape responsibility. I mean, isn't it? It's becoming that way more every darn day. Now take the personal bankruptcy laws. We run up mountains of debt, and we default, and it's someone else's problem. We're not responsible for that. We bear no responsibility uh, for what's often our own fault and our responsibility. Yes, 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 I, I know. It isn't always our fault why we need to go into personal bankruptcy. And, and more than it's any of our fault that uh, we're unwillingly pregnant, okay? But you get the point. Uh, we can now even shoplift up to $950 in California per theft and, and not be held responsible. So, you know, everything's really loosening up. But then again, in all sincerity, I acknowledge the burden of childbirth will never be mine to bear. The same games about health are in effect in Virginia where Democrats, they move to ease the requirements for late-term abortions by reducing the number of doctors required to certify such an abortion from three to one. <laughs> so if all these new blue state health care laws around abortion are about health care, then why have all the requirements to perform these procedures 
near uh, staffed hospitals and with other healthcare professionals around to respond to emergencies. They're all being struck down and erased from blue state abortion laws. Yeah, rather curious. Unfortunately, I believe few Americans realize just how radically out of step our abortion laws are in comparison with the rest of the developed world. Uh, We're one of seven countries that allow abortions after 20 weeks. Uh, Two of those are China and North Korea, and I apologize, North Korea I would hardly call a developed country. In fact, 39 out of 42 countries in Europe have more restrictive abortion laws than Mississippi's abortion law that's before the Supreme Court. Now, as pointed out by other people who have written on this subject recently, many of these countries in Europe have exceptions to this and exceptions to that, and they've got so many exception clauses. We have all the same exception clauses here. It's, it's for instance, uh, you know, if you have an underage daughter and she's pregnant and you want to get an abortion, she wants to get an abortion, you know, she has to obtain uh, your permission. But if you don't give your permission, she can go to a judge and emancipate herself and get an abortion. So a lot of this stuff, there are workarounds just about everywhere. Uh, regardless of method of abortion and which country you're talking, we're talking about right here in America, we're literally snuffing 700,000 future U.S. citizens every year. And what about our nation's vital statistics? The key word in that is vital. These are vital statistics. These are our life statistics. According to the National Center for Health Statistics, live births for the United States in 2020 was 3,600,000, down 4% from 2019. General fertility rate was 56 births per 1,000 women aged 15 to 44, also down 4% from 2019 to reach another all-time, never-before record low for the United States. The total fertility rate was 1,640 births per 1,000 women in 2020, down 4% from 2019 to reach another all-time low record. In 2020, birth rates declined for all women and all age groups between 15 and 44. Now here's the key. The total fertility rate in 2020 was again below replacement. That's the level at which a given generation can exactly replace itself by numbers. To replace ourselves, mind you, this is just to maintain our current population we'd need to reach 2,100 births per 100,000 women, excuse me, 2,100 births per 1,000 women each year going forward. Our current fertility rate is 1,600 live births per 1,000. 2,100, we're just a little bit short there, and it's falling every year. And this rate has been in steady decline since 1971. My gosh, what a selfish nation we've become. We're, too, we're just too damn busy to have children, much less raise them. If we stay on this course, we will eventually disappear as a nation. I do celebrate parents who have put their hearts and pocketbooks into raising our precious future. I celebrate those parents who are standing up to the woke school boards across the nation. Because you damn well bet that we can't lose these children to a twisted, evil, and radically un-American left. Well, I'm sorry for getting sidetracked again. 
One more time, Let, let's go back to the existential question of why we're here. The God I know gave humans free will for the explicit purpose of allowing each of us to decide why we're here and how we're going to conduct ourselves. Now, in many countries, you're not at liberty to be as free as we are here in America. I'm afraid we don't appreciate this. Perhaps we don't pay it any attention, which in a large sense is obviously true. It's it's more than than it's more like we're really oblivious to the tremendous degree of freedom and liberty we enjoy because of our constitution and and therefore the opportunities we have to exercise our freedoms. But I hasten to say the right to an abortion, the liberty and freedom to have a legal abortion is simply not in the constitution of the United States. And no amount of politicking can alter that basic truth. Now, don't take my word for it. Here's an audio clip of Antonin Scalia, Supreme Court Justice, some years back. Of whether you think prohibiting abortion is good or whether you think prohibiting abortion is bad, the Constitution does not say anything about it. It leaves it up to democratic choice. Some states prohibited it, some states didn't. What Roe versus Wade said was that uh, no state can prohibit it. That is simply not in the Constitution. It was one of those many things, most things in the world, left to democratic choice. There you have it from the words of one of the all-time greats. Then there is a mechanism to make abortion part of the Constitution. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But before getting into arguments before the Supreme Court on the recent abortion law in Mississippi, let me say a word or two about liberty, freedom, and free will. They're often confused. Liberty involves free will, as contrasted with determinism. Now, determinism is the doctrine that all events, including human action, are ultimately determined by causes external to free will. In in other words, things happen as pre-planned by some higher spirit or being, and your will or decisions have no effect on the outcome of any of your actions. Things just happen to you. On the other hand, freedom is the exercise of free will. Now, if you don't have free will, you really don't have freedom. Unquestionably, our founding fathers believed Americans valued God's gift of free will. That's why our Constitution ensures certain liberties and unalienable rights. Liberty entails the responsible use of freedom under the rule of law. Liberty entails the responsible use of freedom under the law, without deriving anyone or depriving anyone else of their freedom. Now, freedom is broader than liberty. If you don't have a liberty, you don't have any bounds around freedom. It's just free to do whatever it wants to do. So again, freedom is broader than liberty in that it represents a total lack of restraint or the unrestrained ability to fulfill one's desires. You often hear someone say they're not at liberty to do this or that. In other words, the freedom to exercise free will is constrained or restricted by some law, which has to do with liberty. My liberty ends at the beginning of your liberty. In other words, neither of us are at liberty to punch each other in the nose. Now, that may happen anyway, but we're not at liberty to do it. By law, 
our freedom to punch each other in the nose ends at the tips of our respective nostrils. Looking at our liberty and freedom today, I encourage you, no, I actually urge you to pay close attention to what's going on with our political left. Radical progressives, American socialists, Marxists, and outright racists in our government, they're pushing us each day closer to a perilous precipice that, that overhangs a very deep and dark abyss. We're approaching a, a critical inflection point in America. These un-American elements are working overtime every day to circumscribe and restrict our liberty and thus our freedoms. All you have to do to validate this is to follow each new woke idea and policy they're thrusting on Americans. And, and while they're stripping our liberty, they're empowering their own authority over us. Just look at how they supported and enabled the teachers' unions in the National School Board Association. Now, as for the National School Board Association, do you know, since they sent that wonderful Joseph McCarthy-styled letter to Merrick Garland, uh, the, you know, the attorney general troll, he in turn issued his infamous memo to the FBI and all federal law enforcement agents to track down the activities of parent behavior at school board meetings. Well, since then, 27 of the 50, 27, more than half of the state school board associations have withdrawn from the National School Board Association. I mean, totally withdrawn. They've broken ties. And there's more states to follow, leaving this national association, this very leftist organization, questioning if they could remain financially viable. Now, wouldn't that be a shame? If we're talking about abortion, that's exactly what's happening to this propaganda instrument on the left. I couldn't be happier. We have power, and when we use it responsibly, we can affect positive change. We must get involved, though. And while I'm sidetracking, please give me a moment to rail against Joe Biden's socialist agenda, illustrated by his spendthrift Build Back Better baloney legislation. One part of this BBB law would pay at taxpayers' expense to provide universal preschool for all three- and four-year-olds. However, there are few, and I emphasize, I had a hard time finding any, any studies when holding socioeconomic factors constant. In other words, you hold all these variables constant to see what in the effect of a certain uh, uh, intervention has. Uh, none of these suggest that preschool offers a lasting academic benefit to children of any background or parentage. It's all a myth that this is like a Head Start program. By the third grade, there's no difference in math and reading scores between children who went to preschool compared with those who didn't in our public schools. Shocking, isn't it? Even more shocking, those third grade math and reading scores were steadily deteriorating even before the pandemic by adding two additional years of publicly paid for education, in other words, from 13 to 15 years, with the addition of those two years of preschool, the teachers' unions will gain an additional 15% in union-paying membership. Now, this is only going to give the teachers' unions more clout in campaign donations to progressive candidates and more political clout to see federal legislation favor union positions. You always notice Joe Biden always says it's going to create more good-paying union jobs. This is what he means, by the way. 
And I ask you, if you think keeping the corrosive and corrupting ideology of critical race theory out of public education today is a challenge, just wait until your four-year-old comes home thinking that they're a white supremacist or they're a black victim of systemic racism. Yes, I'm saying our liberty to our lives, to live our lives, to enjoy our freedoms according to the unalienable rights our God-given creator gave us, they're being infringed. Yes, yes, I'm saying these liberties are constantly, they're constantly under attack by today's progressive Democrats. They're under attack by progressive mandates and woke legislation. Well, at the same time, the same, these same Democrats are increasing their liberty to abridge our freedom. I've lived 72 years, and this is the first time I've seen people fired and socially condemned, ostracized, criticized, I won't say the other things that are happening to them, for not taking an experimental vaccine to protect others from a nearly non-fatal disease for the large majority of Americans. The only thing we know for sure is that COVID-19 vaccines provide some level of protection to the vaccinated. However, given the number of breakthrough infections, one could hardly say these vaccines stop the spread of COVID. Let me remind you, there is nothing in the Constitution that says Joe Biden or any other governor can demand a person allow someone to insert a needle into their bodies and inject a foreign substance into them against their will. And the Biden administration is being told by the federal courts the same thing every darn day. It's almost as if Biden loses one federal suit against these mandates daily. But neither he nor his village troll, that diminutive Dr. Fauci, have changed their position on mandates. And this is certainly true given what we know about COVID-19 and what we don't know about the intermediate and long-term effects of these COVID vaccines. We don't know the effects they have on the human body or our future children. This is certainly true given that healthy children are at an unmeasurably low, practically non-existent risk of being hospitalized for COVID, and, and the risk to be hospitalized is even more unmeasurable than the risk of being hospitalized. Yet, the government is is close to demanding every child 5 to 11 be vaccinated or denied a public education. And count on it. Village troll Tiny Fauci is coming after your babies and your children all the way through and to age 18. You're going to have to haul your family to CVS to get boosters every six months. And the pharmaceutical manufacturers of these vaccines now want you to give them 75 years of closed secrecy to all their experimental data that they've collected over the past 18 months. Meaning they don't want any other health services and research professionals looking at their findings until we're all dead from natural causes, COVID-19, or the vaccines themselves. In New York City, as of December 27th, children can't accompany their parents to a restaurant or a public holiday venue or a movie theater unless they've been vaccinated. They're no longer at liberty to move about freely in America. But abortion? Unrestricted abortion is a liberty Democrats demand be granted by the Supreme Court, and today they demand it remain unabridged. The contradictions have become a legion. A woman has, according to the Supreme Court, a constitutional right to abort a fetus because it's her body. But 
an unvaccinated individual has no right to refuse the government insert a vaccine into his or her body. So if vaccines are a public health measure, then abortions are also protecting us from the unborn, I suppose. Yes, it's ludicrous. Alas, alas, alas. Our time this week was just way too short. It's way too short. I hope you'll take to heart Mark Twain's wise insight. The two most important days in your life are the day when you were born and the day you find out why. The end of 2021 is around the corner. This gives those of you listening today a tremendous head start on wrestling with the why we're here part of Twain's message. Too much of anything is never a good thing. Too much abortion isn't either. And it's never the wrong time to do the right thing. Please say a prayer this weekend that our Supreme Court negotiates wisely among themselves over the Mississippi abortion law. Until we meet again, thank you so much for listening, and God bless you all.